Hey, welcome to night school. And what I'm going to be talking about here today is a sort of a, I feel like it plays on everything I normally talk about. I might tread on some territory that I've discussed before, as is you know typical here. Uh, but I'm going to be talking a little bit about you know when we get into something, when you want to start doing something, or you have a new interest. There's this tendency to be like, well. You want to ask people like, well, well, where do I get the right gear? Where do I get the right outfit? What should I do? You want to, you know, ask these experts. You want to get some sort of expert opinion. And, and of course, there are a million people out there who love to be an expert in that moment, whether they actually have any expertise or not. Because once you've uh, gotten the right gear, you basically become an expert. A good example is music. I used the example recently of the teenage boy who gets his first guitar, and a week later he's telling all his friends, "No, you got to get this. You got to get these strings. You got to you got to do this. No, you, you got to hold it like this." You know, that's sort of the way the initiate the initiation process works on so many things. How you know you have this initial insecurity when you're dabbling in something new, where it's like I don't even know what. I don't even know what, what I want. You know, I don't even know what to get. What do I get? And it's like, what kind of what kind of strings should I get? What kind of pedal should I use? And that kind of thing. And there's this tendency then, once you get that, once you've used it for a while, once you've gotten a little bit of confidence in whatever it is you're doing, whether that confidence is earned or not, it doesn't really matter. Because once you have that confidence... Uh, you suddenly, uh, you you can be that expert if that's what you want to be. And it could apply to going to the gym, too. It could apply to doing anything, wearing anything. It's really a universal of culture, of the human experience. Uh, and let's just, let's just use fitness as an example where, you know, you start going to the gym and it's like, well, you know, if I'm going to start going to the gym, I've got to start dressing like it. There's this ceremonial aspect to it where, you know... Just looking looking at what a ceremony is, you think, oh, if I'm going to a ceremony, I have to look a certain way. You know, the ceremonies of the West, we wear a suit and tie. I'm going to a funeral, I must wear a suit and tie. Uh, unless the person who, who died was a rebel. And it's like, well, I'm going to wear a Hawaiian shirt because Frank, God rest his soul, wants us to, you know, party. He wants to... He wants to have us participate in this, you know, tantric exercise for his funeral, or we do the opposite of what you normally do. You piss on him. I don't know. Whatever it is people want, whatever it is Frank wants you to do at his funeral, because he was such a rebel. He was so ahead of his time. Get that Hawaiian shirt ready and make sure it's wrinkled, because Frank never used an iron in his life. But I guess that's another thing I'm going to be talking about, too, is the way that, the ways that we do try to, you know, do these tantric exercises. That's a term I've had in my head recently, and I feel like it works. You know, not that I'm some expert in the tantra or tantra, however you want to say it. I say tantra because it sounds more like tantrum. And a tantrum could very well be a tantric exercise, having a tantrum just to, you know, cause a scene. So that's kind of what you're doing when you do a tantric or tantric exercise. Here I'm going to start saying tantric, even though my preference is tantric. 
Uh, but that's sort of what you're doing. You're sort of causing a scene of some kind. You're disrupting something. The idea is to disrupt or, or maybe kind of defile, depending on how far you want to go with the idea of defilement. But initially, you know, most people, I think, are afraid to do that. That's not their first approach. The first approach is, I want to do things the right way. I want to do it right. What strings should I buy? What gauge strings should I buy? And then someone will be like, well, you need to worry about learning uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star before you worry about what strings to buy. Just buy any strings. You need to worry about just picking up the guitar before you worry about, you know, string preferences. And I feel like that is good advice. The person who tells you, you know, just do it. Just start doing it in some way and listen to people who... Listen to people you respect, you know, pay attention when someone is good at something. I think that's always a good approach. If you see someone who is objectively good at something, especially if you are interested in whatever it is they specifically are doing, for example, a guitarist you like, and I'm no expert in music or guitar uh, by any means, but I think that's just a good universal approach. Look at somebody who is effectively doing something if you want to do something the right way. But it's very easy to get religious about it. It's very easy to get, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, I think a certain amount of reverence is important in any kind of process, anytime you want to do something, especially that requires taking influence from others, I think you should have a certain amount of reverence. But it's very easy to get religious about it. Let's just call it religious, where it's like, well, I want to do it exactly like him, and the way he does it is the best way, and I just want to do that. I want to do that. You know, James Hetfield. You know, we've been talking about James Hetfield on here lately. I want to do it exactly like James Hetfield. And then you find out that he just picked up the guitar one day and he figured it out. You know, just he did his best. He had a friend who showed him one thing. And I don't know. I don't know the the actual guitar biography of James Hetfield. I'm just using an example. But uh, Kurt Cobain, all these guys... I'm just going to, this is going to sound like a uh, guitar magazine's like top 100 guitarists. You want to be like Jimi Hendrix? Well, Jimi Hendrix just picked up a guitar one day. Nobody told him, uh, you know, what kind of, what kind of pickups to use. But it's very easy to, you know, then if if that person is your influence to want to do exactly what they did. Meanwhile, you know, they figured out how to do something on their own. But that's not to say that they didn't take influence from somebody or have a certain amount of reverence themselves. So it's always sort of a, you know, a back and forth with wanting to do anything where you just, it's like on one hand you want to follow the lead of people who impress you in some way. But on, on the other hand, you don't want to just mimic them. You don't want to just do what they do. And there's, you know, things that are less creative, too. I think with creativity, that's always the battle, or it should be. That should always be just a battle going on nonstop with any creative person is, you know, wanting to do something well and effectively, whatever that means. And that's another that's another little mini battle. That's a little skirmish. The, you know, what does it actually mean to do something well creatively? Uh, that's that's a little skirmish off to the side, but just the idea between, you know, being original or being creative on your own, because I mean, the, the big, uh, the big lie of creativity as a whole is that a lot of it's not terribly creative. A lot of it is just an algorithm to use today's language. 
a lot of it is just you know paint by numbers to some degree and uh so there always is that big battle between you know wanting to do something well and being influenced because we are inevitably influenced by others and because of that nothing can ever be just truly truly just out of nowhere original you know that's a whole other level where something is just completely in no way uh, precedented by anything else I mean it's very I think it happens to some degree I mean someone has to pull something out of the air at some point but there's also you know some truth to the idea that there's nothing new under the sun but I also think people use that, the idea of there's nothing new under the sun, which it says in the Bible, showing you how old that idea actually is, and no date, no doubt, no date, you can't even date it, see? It's a little slip of the tongue, but even that's true. You can't, you can't even date that saying, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, but it appears in the Bible, and people will use that, though, to justify being thieves or being unoriginal. You know, it's like, oh, well, you lifted this riff from this band, and it's like, well, there's nothing new under the sun. We've all been doing it. Led Zeppelin did it. I'm doing it, too. And people use stuff like that to justify being lazy or worse, you know, being an outright thief. And it's good to keep in mind, you know, that no matter what, you're never going to achieve just, you know, total originality in, in doing something. And even if you think you are... It turns out somebody else did have that idea, and you just just because you didn't know about it doesn't mean that you're not doing what they did, which is a whole other beast. The idea of not being influenced by something only to find out about it later. You're not as special as you thought. Uh, but yeah, that is always the battle of creativity in particular, though, is the idea of like following someone else's model, inevitably following it taking influence from the things that you like, the things that led you to start doing that thing that you're doing, uh, but then also wanting to, you know, truly make your own mark. And that's just a battle that, you know, every creative person deals with to some degree, some more than others. Uh, some people, I believe, rely much more heavily on others to be unique or to be original, whereas it comes more naturally to other people. And I've seen this play out with people I know. And that doesn't make anybody's work necessarily better than anybody else's. But I think it is something that's observable. And so I don't like this like reductionist idea of like, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, you know, it's just kind of, it's an easy way of just breaking everything down to this equal playing field that isn't entirely true, in my opinion. But there are other areas where, you know, I think fitness is a great example where it's creative in the sense that you're building something. You're working certain muscles. You are building a certain body. Even the stuff that isn't visible, endurance, you know, various processes going on inside of your body that are being affected by exercise. Uh, I think fitness is very creative, but it's not, you know, obviously it's not artistically creative, at least. I mean, you could find a way of saying that. I could easily sit here and go on for another 20 minutes and find a way of justifying the statement that, oh, you know, fitness is actually art. Your body is art. You ever been to a, uh, you know, a bodybuilding contest? You ever, you ever seen a bunch of guys oiled up with fake tanner showing off their little uh, triceps? You know, I mean... That's art, sure. If John Benet Ramsey was an artist, uh, those guys are artists too. 
Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> hey, let's spend 20 more minutes on that and bring Jean Benet Ramsey into it. A little girl who was was murdered. Let's bring that into it. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no. It's it's uh, fitness is easy easier to talk about in some sense because it isn't as you know typical. You know, it, it's not. It doesn't fit our typical definition of art and creativity. Let's put it that way. It's a creative process, but it's not creative in the sense that we usually use it. You can't get an art credit for taking PE. Let's put it that way. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I don't think it is as orthodox as people want it to be. Because you look at the outfits people wear when they decide to start working out. It's like, it's like they sign up for a gym membership and they go and buy the exact same outfit they see people wearing when they go to the gym. When they walk by 24-hour fitness, those big windows, those big perverse windows that gyms like 24-hour fitness have where it's like, why are those windows so big? You know why? Do, you know why do they want people staring at everybody inside of there? Do those people want that? I mean, is I mean, I guess maybe there's a part of that. You know, it's a C and B scene, the twenty-four hour fitness fishbowl. But when you walk by there and you think, you know, maybe I should do that. Maybe I shouldn't buy this Seven Eleven pizza. You know that I just that I'm walking back from. You know, maybe I should sign up for twenty-four hour fitness and look at they're in those spandex outfits. There's a lot of stripes. Everything they wear has stripes, you know, down the side, and it's spandex and gym shorts, and you know they're they're wearing this this and that, and they look like people who work out. It's not just that they're in shape; it's not just that they're confidently using those machines. They know how to use those machines. They know how to re rack their dumbbells. It's not just that; it's they also look the part. They're dressed the part. There's a certain ceremony to that. There's a certain ceremony to the way that people dress when they get into fitness and people get these runners outfits. And on one hand, you know, there are reasons why people wear certain clothes when they work out certain fits, certain, I guess, you know, material lends itself toward physical activity, athletic activity. And there's a reason why, you know, I wear gym shorts when I run. Or you know, I, you know, t-shirts doesn't really matter. You can pretty much wear any t-shirt. But you know, there's a reason why people wear running shoes, and I had to learn that the hard way when I started running. Even though I always heard, you know, wear the right shoes, blah blah blah. You know, I, I didn't really take it seriously, and I do have this stubborn need to do things my own way, or if not, like stubbornly do it my own way to just ignore things and just think, oh. It's all just ceremony and ritual, and I can do whatever the fuck I want in one ear and out the other. But when I started running, it was because I would go on long walks. I, I was a hiker and a, and a long walker. Not just a walker, but a long walker for years. Cross-country walking. Uh, but I did that for many years before I started running. And while I, but I, and I didn't wear any special shoes. I just wore any damn shoes on walks and hikes. And, uh, but I found that I, I started to, whenever I would like face a really steep hill, there was this part of me that just compelled me to run up it. It just, it seemed easier than walking up it. I don't know what it was. It was like giving yourself some kind of, uh, extra little push made going uphill easier. Uh, it just felt, it felt more, 
there was I felt more like a machine who was just effectively, you know, gaining ground when I would run up a hill. And that made me start to think. I was like, you know, what if I just tried running a little bit longer? What if it wasn't just this thing I did to try to get up hills easier? And if I actually just ran for little bits of time on my hikes. And so I started doing that, but I was still wearing the same old shoes, you know, Vans or something. No ankle support. And I thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, people say you shouldn't do this, but I'm having no problems. I'm running. I can run in any shoe. And after about a month of doing that, I just I ended up with this extremely painful something. I never figured out what it was. I didn't go to the doctor. I just took it easy for a couple months. But it lasted a while. It lasted a couple months where after that, in, getting that initial momentum of being like, oh, I'm running. I'm not just running up hills once in a blue moon. I'm actually running for, you know, 20, sometimes 30 minutes at a time. And, you know, and who needs running shoes? Because I'm running. These are shoes and I'm running. So who needs running shoes? But, you know, this injury just kind of came out of nowhere. It wasn't sudden. It wasn't, it wasn't something that happened while I was running. I felt it maybe the next day. I don't remember the exact timeline. But it was something that had obviously developed over time from wearing the wrong shoes. So that was a lesson. You know, I, here I thought I was being some, you know, here I thought I was uh, doing some tantric move. I was making, I was, you know, participating in some tantric exercise by being like, oh, you know, they tell you you need running shoes, but I'm going to do the opposite and just wear whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to wear whatever shoes I want. I'm going to defile that rule. I'm going to defile that. Uh, I'm going to defy. I'm not going to defile. I'm going to defy. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that was sort of my thinking. I wasn't that conscious of it, but that that's sort of how I, I used to approach a lot more things, actually. And sure enough, my foot was fucked up, and so I bought running shoes. Haven't had that same problem. So running shoes, it's a great example of, it. you know, it, it fills a purpose. It has a purpose. There's a reason why people who run wear running shoes. There's a reason why a certain type of shoe has been engineered for people who run. But not everything in the fitness world is like that. Not every outfit is necessary. You don't have to wear the same thing. If, you know, if you're a girl going to the gym, you don't have to wear the same thing that every girl wears going to the gym. And maybe there's something to be said for that stuff. You know, every girl nowadays is wearing those same, I guess they're not yoga pants. They're some sort of spandex pants that the men at the gym don't wear at all, but the women wear them. So you see where, like, there is this element of fashion. There is this element of... You know, it's these. It is a culture. There is this ceremony to it because you know women see what other women are wearing to the gym, and so they start wearing it too. And guys are the same way. Guys have their own stuff as well. Gym shorts. Guys are really into gym shorts. So am I. I love gym shorts, but still, there you don't have to wear them. You know, you can really wear whatever you want as long as it doesn't, you know, take anything away from whatever it is you're trying to do. And you can wear whatever t-shirt you want. You don't have to wear a gold gym shirt. You don't have to wear the same kind of shirt that guys wear. But a culture does develop, and this is very evident in the fitness world. And those people, it's not just going to the gym. People who are really into fitness and gym culture, they look a certain way all the time. You know, they go to the grocery store looking like a gym person a lot of the time. Uh, there's a certain way that people look. 
And it's not much different than someone, I mean, living in the Pacific Northwest, there's a certain style too. the Seattle area, even people who live these urban lives in the actual city of Seattle, near where I'm originally from. And, you know, there's a certain look. If you live in the Pacific Northwest and you go hiking like once a month, once every two months and take pictures while you're out there to remind everyone that you're into nature, you got to have a North Face jacket. You know, you got to you got to have a certain sort of a shoe, you know, a certain sort of like hiking shoe, hiking boot. Got to wear a beanie, you know, and not just any beanie. It has to be the right kind. You got to look like someone who lives in the Pacific Northwest if you're going to live in the Pacific Northwest. And that's just culture. It's just fashion. But it's funny how it does get associated with certain activities where it's not really necessary. Although, you know, certain brands make better rain jackets. Once again, you know, there is a function to this stuff. It's not just one thing or another. You know, there are some strings that lend themselves better to playing certain types of music. You know, it's not just one or the other in this. But I think it is something that, you know, it's good to know what you're doing. I mean, especially if... Especially if you do want to be your own person in this world, and I don't mean just, you know, the way you dress or any one thing in particular, but if you do want to be your own person, or even if it's not your own person, you know, uh, if you want to be everybody, no, but just if you want to, you know, be honest with yourself, I think that would be a good way of being your own person. If you just want to be honest with yourself, I think it's good to be aware of the reasons why you might be doing something and the effect that might have on you as a person. Because once you start dressing like a, a Seattleite who goes hiking once a month or what, once every couple months and dresses like you go hiking but still a little bit, you know, urban, fashionable, you know, you don't want to go, you're not a mountain man, you know, you're a, you got a tech job too. You want to, you know, you want to maintain that balance of, you know, working a tech job, but you also want people to know that you like to go hiking. So you got to balance that out. And uh, fortunately, there are a bunch of brands that cater right to you. But still, if you want to be your own person, if you want to be a person who's honest with yourself, you know, about what you're doing and why, or if you even want to ask yourself those questions at all, uh, you know, you should uh, you should be aware of these things. And because uh, it, it does bleed over, bleed out, bleed in to the way you think. You know, if you start dressing like someone who's, a, you know, a PNW, uh, which not a prisoner of war, a PNW resident, Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, you might start thinking like you think Pacific Northwest people think. That's a rough sentence. Uh, but you, know, you start thinking like, oh, how should I vote? What kind of opinions should I have? What kind of music should I listen to? You're going for kind of this, you're trying to create this environment around yourself. You're going for a certain image, for a certain role. We're back to LARPing. We're back to role play. We're back to cosplay because that's what you're doing when you want to go to the gym for the first time. And you're like, you know, it's not just, I can't just wear any old shorts and any old t-shirt. You know, I've got to look like a person who goes to the gym. You're LARPing. You're LARPing like somebody who is going to make that monthly gym membership fee worth it. You want to start acting the part. And there's something to be said for that. You know, there's something to be said for that. Even though you're just, you know, faking it till you make it, there's a reason why that process does work for people. Uh, and, but uh, it's, it's also easy to get caught up in that. It's easy to think that that's the only way to do things. 
And you then become that person who, after a week, is like, look at this, look at this guy at the gym who's, you know, not wearing what I'm wearing. Look at this guy at the gym who's not dressed like a guy who goes to the gym. And I think most people who are truly confident and comfortable at the gym, and I don't go to the gym personally. I work out at home. I've found my own ways around things, but uh, I think the gym's a great example. Um, I've looked in those 24-hour fitness windows and, and made notes. You know, I, I wrote my, my thesis on 24-hour fitness, and I observed what goes on there through those big, giant fishbowl windows. But, you know, someone who is truly confident, who is truly comfortable in what they're doing, isn't going to care. They're going to know. Someone who truly is confident and knows what they're doing is going to know that you can wear pretty much anything and this just happens to work better for me or whatever, you know. I think that's what ends up happening when someone does know themselves, when someone has been honest with themselves or just, you know, naturally has figured that out maybe. Maybe not everybody needs to go through like such such extreme existential self-analysis to come to these conclusions and they just do it more naturally. I don't know. But it's very easy to be like, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Oh, and now I'm, now I know where everything is at the gym. You know, I've done this for a week, and now I know where all the, I know how to use all the equipment. So now I'm the expert. And now, when someone comes in, when some new fish swims in here, who looks clueless, I can say, "Oh, you know, oh, you're looking for the, uh, you know, the, I don't know, the bench press. It's over there. You know where the water cooler is, so to speak." And uh, you're still faking it, of course. That's the thing: is the second you think you've made it is the second you should remind yourself you're still faking it. But it's very easy to get caught up in that. And, and going back to the music idea, it's not just, you know, what kind of pickups does my guitar need? And it's like, well, you just need to actually start playing it. Uh, it's not just that people are looking for these gear tips. Oh, what kind of guitar should I get if I want to play in a, uh, you know, a late 80s Swedish death metal band? You know, if I want to play in that style in 2015 and, and you know, what kind of leather jacket should I wear if I'm going to take a black and white photo in a graveyard pretending that I'm a 15-year-old Swede in a death metal band in 1988? And what kind of leather jacket? How long should my hair be? You know, you'd like to imagine people don't think this way, but they do. They want to know. And, uh, you know, it just shows you, too, that gear starts to mimic that. Even just the gear that becomes available starts to mimic people's desire to do things like that, where you have a death metal pedal. I mean, it's been out forever. It's been out longer than I've owned a guitar. There's been the uh, DOD death metal pedal. And it's like, do you think that your favorite death metal bands from the early late 80s, early 90s, you know, do you think they used the DOD death metal pedal? I don't think so. I think th there was no gear designed for them. You know, they were figuring it out. They were they were messing with their gear. They were playing around. They were winging it. Oh, yeah, you know, you know, uh, Entombed, they used the DoD death metal pedal before it existed. And that's not to say that the death metal pedal isn't going to give you something. It's not to say you can't get something out of that. You know, no, nobody's saying that. In the same way that the guy, the the distortion pedals that your favorite bands were using before the death metal pedal existed, you know, those early distortion pedals, they were made for another type of music. They were trying to, you know, play to the rock and roll crowd. 
And, you know, the guys who were getting into rock and roll, you know, just let's just say straight up rock and roll. We're like, oh, you know, I want to get that same uh, slightly overdriven sound that Chuck Berry has. What kind of equipment did Chuck Berry have? And, you know, meanwhile, Chuck Berry, like, fucked with some equipment that wasn't designed, you know, to do what he made it do. And then they came out with something that mimicked that, something that made it easier, something that exploited that to some degree. And, you know, exploitation doesn't have to be a horrible thing. Uh, You know, says the colonial... (laughs) <laughs> tyrant, you know, but uh, uh, exploitation doesn't have to be super sinister or anything, but, uh, you know, just in the, it's the same process plays out over and over again, where it's like, oh, somebody does something that's somewhat iconoclastic, they have limited means, and they push those limited means and achieve something new, something that is creative. As I said, some people are more creative, some people are more unique than others in different ways, but certainly when it comes to something like making music. Uh, and if you hear that leaf blower outside, it's not a leaf blower. It's a, a, a DOD Chuck Berry distortion pedal on my neighbor's uh, sitar. He's very unique. He's very unique. He plays a, a distorted sitar, and he, you know, it's, he's, just, he's just beating everybody out. He's beating everybody to the punch. Uh, no, but... Uh, you know, there is that process that unfolds where someone pushes the limits, they get a certain result, and then uh, somebody's like, well, here's a way that you can do that. Here's a pedal for it. Here's what gear you should use if you want to do that. And again, it's that same battle where it's like, you know, you can learn a lot from that. You can learn from the guy who's like, even if he's an idiot, even if he has no creative bone in his body, you can learn from the guy who's like, here's here's my gear recommendations. You go to like the musiciansfriend.net forums and you're like, I want to sound like this. What gear should I get? And some guy's like, well, listen, kid, I've been, I've been posting on these forums for five years and this is what I tell everybody. You got, you got to get this. You got to get these shoes too while you're at it. Because that's an important part of being a musician, you know? Uh, <laughs> It's not just that people want the right equipment when they sign up. It's like they want to look the part, too. But people get tantric about that, you know, and I have a tendency to do that myself. People want to, you know, rebel, like, where it's like, oh, you know, there's the guy who, who is like, you know, what kind of leather jacket was a nihilist wearing in their 1987 promo pick in some, such and such graveyard? It's 2019, and I know everything about everything from the past. What kind of leather jackets were they wearing? I want to wear that because, you know, I got the DOD death metal pedal. Uh, And uh, then there's the other guy, though, who's the opposite, who's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sag my pants with my bullet belt, you know, referencing that episode now. Uh, But that guy was real. There was a, there is a guy who was in a band I'm aware of who, who, you know, played metal and and wore like sagging you know wigger jeans with his bullet belt and that's a tantric move it's like oh look at me breaking the rules look at me being different Uh, and people do that to you know varying extents and sometimes that's someone's shtick i'm the guy who doesn't look like what you'd expect you know i'm the guy who looks like uh you know a football player but i i play uh you know really soft emotional indie rock 
You know, I, I wear, uh, you know, Gold's Gym shirts and, and baseball caps. And I have, uh, you know, a sports team logo tattooed on my forearm. But I play very soft, emotional indie rock. You know, because I'm different. It's tantric. And sometimes that just happens naturally. Sometimes just someone doesn't look the part. Sometimes someone is just doing their own thing. But sometimes that becomes someone's shtick. Sometimes a, a guy wears jeans to the, to the gym. That's his tantric move. His little tantric maneuver of being like, I'm going to break the rules. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be transcendental by breaking the rules and wearing jeans to the gym. Because I can do it. I can use that leg press in jeans. I can still do leg presses in jeans. And that's more me, you know? That's me wearing my Vans when I started running and fucking up my foot. Although I don't think jeans are going to injure you. They're going to be so obviously uncomfortable as you sweat into your jeans, as you try to move your legs in sweaty jeans in the gym. I think there's an obvious reason not to do that. But you can. I mean, you can always break rules. That's the thing. You can always break them. And so many situations, I mean, in every situation, you have an opportunity to rebel. In every situation, you have the opportunity to, you know, become a, a practitioner of the, the tantra, the tantra, the tantrum. In every situation, you can have a tantrum, a tantric tantrum. Every situation gives you that opportunity. And uh, it's a question, too, that I, I was listening to something recently that was talking about the tantra and uh, the tantra, and I just say them both. Why not just say them both every time? That's how crazy things have become, is just you say both pronunciations. Celtic, Celtic. I don't, you know, if I'm talking about, you know, uh, <laughs> if, I'm in a, if I'm having a conversation, you know, at Starbucks about, you know, ancient Gaelic tradition, I say Celtic, Celtic every time I have a reason to use that word. Well, according to Celtic, Celtic lore, according to the Tantra Tantra, uh, but really, you know, reading about the Tantra, hear, hearing about the Tantra recently, uh, you know, the idea is that we now live in a world, we now live in a time where a lot of the rules that ancient Tantra practitioners were breaking in their own culture uh, were, or are, are things that we now do regularly, that are a regular part of what we do. We eat a ton of meat, you know, we're all sexual deviants, not speaking for myself there, but, you know, for all kinds of people, they at least want people to believe that. They went out and got the gear. Uh, you know, if I want to be a sexual deviant, uh, what kind of stuff should I buy at Lover's Package this weekend? If I want to give the, the impression that I'm a sexually liberated young woman, what kind of gear should I pick up at Lover's Package this weekend? You know, but we do live in a world that is... Uh, where, where things that would be considered defilements in ancient cultures where tantric practices developed, you know, are the norm to some degree. If they're not the norm, they're at least much more accepted. And so what is, the, what is a, a tantric defilement in that context? Does it mean being worse? Does it mean being a cannibal? Does it mean being a pedophile? I mean, someone would argue that... You know, yeah, someone could say that those are transcendental in some way, and I think they are. I mean, I think every criminal is transcendental. 
it kind of reminds me of something I've been saying for years, which is that, you know, where does this whole rebellion shtick end? You know, this rebellion for the sake of rebellion, which is absolutely a part of my generation, this rebellion for the sake of rebellion. You got to rebel against everything all the time. The logical conclusion of that is just being a pedophile or being a serial killer or killing yourself. Like, it seriously is. Like, rebellion for the sake of rebellion is just nonsense. And it just leads to being just an abominable creature. It leads to being Grendel. You know, that's all it leads to. Uh, But that plays in perfectly with this whole idea of, you know, in a society where these things that were considered... um, Because, you know, the, the Tantra, too, it's associated with sex like you know that's how we we when you hear that word when you hear tantric you often associate it with sex even though that's just a minor part not minor but it's it's just one component of uh you know of any kind of tantra practice just going back and forth with that pronunciation once you think about something like that you just get caught up and you just you're you become inconsistent that's why i say them both that's why i got to remember to say them both every time but, you know, in a society where, or especially in, say, Hinduism or Buddhism, where, you know, a certain amount of sexual restraint, if not celibacy, was encouraged, if not required, of course, you know, a tantra practice would be embracing those things, embracing perversity, ritualizing it, and achieving transcendence through that. But in a society where those things are accepted, you know, what is the logical logical conclusion of that? You know, what is the logical conclusion of, of that in a society that is sexually liberated? And you could say that the, oh, the in a society that is sexually liberated, the, the most tantric thing you could do is to, is to be celibate. Or in, in a, you know, society that, where everybody eats meat, instead of eating meat as some sort of tantric exercise, it would then be you know, going vegan or starving yourself entirely, being a total ascetic, you know, it, it could be something like that. And then that's the problem, though, with, with the Tantra is it ends up just anything you do, I'm going to do the opposite, which is why I don't really embrace that way of thinking, even though I do have this inherent uh, oppositional defiance, even though there is this part of me that always wants to do things my own way, and often that means rebelling. I also don't entirely embrace that part of myself. And I think you can do some sort of tantric exercise within yourself where when you find yourself always leaning one way, you lean the opposite. And you don't have to do it every time, but I think it's it's an important part of, you know, finding out what's real about yourself. You know, it's finding out what's true about yourself. And you don't want to hurt yourself. You don't want to not wear running shoes because, you know, you just want to rebel against the whole... The whole business, rebelling against the whole business, the running, the whole uh, orthodoxy of running shoes. I'm just going to rebel, but then you end up fucking your foot up. So it is kind of a treacherous game in that way when you rebel too much. But if you are rebelling against your own impulses, if you're rebelling against your own, what you think is you, I think that's a part of it too, is you're just convinced this is you. I'm just this way. This is just who I am. I don't need to challenge that because we often don't. You know, we kind of harden to the fact that we are a certain way. 
and we think that rebellion is an act of us against society or us against a certain aspect of society, us against a certain orthodoxy. And as I said, the logical conclusion of that is usually just something destructive or self-destructive or pointless, you know? And, and I do, let me just get into what I was saying before about how something that I feel like is, you know, extremely common, maybe it might not even just be my generation, because I think it's Gen X, I think it's, you know, us millennials, I think it's Gen Z as well. But the idea of the rebel has been put on such a pedestal that I think we forget about the purpose and, and value of rebellion. And going back to the idea of what is action, what is what is rebellion for that matter? Rebellion is an action, but, you know, rebellion typically happens for a very specific purpose. You know, what you're rebelling against something specific, but when you have rebellion for the sake of rebellion, it's just this, you know, masturbatory exercise, this collective masturbation, just sitting around in a circle, jerking off, not even on a cookie. You know, you're not even playing whatever that game is called, um... Uh, circle jerk, you know, it's circle jerk, but you're not even jerking off onto a cookie. You're little, you're literally jerking off onto nothing. Rebellion for the sake of nothing is just jerking off in a circle, but there's nothing in the center of that circle. So you're just doing it just to do it. And you see that in the way these, these subcultures form where, you know, it's like when everybody has a tattoo, like tat getting a tattoo was so rebellious at a certain point of time. I know I rallied against tattoos recently. I don't actually have any issue with tattoos whatsoever. I just have never wanted, I, I wanted one when I was like 17, and I'm glad I didn't get one when I was 18, because uh, I would have wanted a Grim Reaper and ended up with a sublime sun on my shoulder, um, but you know, it's that idea of like, oh, I'm going to get a tattoo to rebel, and the number of people who regret getting tattoos is astronomical, the number of people who get tattoos when they're young as some sort of act of, indi of so-called individuality, of rebellion, rebelling against your parents, you know, there was this whole idea that tattoos were rebellious, and it goes back to this idea of a tantric exercise, where a lot of people at a certain point in time were getting tattoos as some sort of tantric exercise. It was like, look at me, I'm going to get something on my skin permanently, because everybody says you can't get a job if you do this. Meanwhile, there are like commercials for, you know, being a young tech professional now, and it's like the guy in the commercial has a sleeve, a tattoo sleeve, uh, and it's just, it's become the norm. So in a society where everybody has tattoos as an act of self-expression, a tantric exercise would be to not get a tattoo, I guess. But then you have me, and it's like, I don't have a tattoo because I wasn't born with one. Maybe there's a little part of me that likes the fact that I didn't buck the, the trend and that I, that I didn't jump on the wagon and get that tattoo when I turned 18. You know, I admit there's a part of me that's, you know, a little, uh, I, I give myself a little, at a certain point in time, I gave myself a little pat on the back maybe for that. But at the same time, it's, it wasn't a tantric exercise. You know, I didn't, I didn't avoid going into a tattoo shop, paying them money, and getting some tattoo on my body just to rebel against all the people with tattoos. Uh, like Lady Google says, you know, born this way. I just happen to be referring to my fucking skin, man. Born this way. And uh, but but it is you do end up in that world, and rebellion for the sake of rebellion puts you in that position. You end up compromised because it's like. Uh, you, you basically are in a nonstop state of rebellion. 
And as much as I think you should be continually battling with certain ideas within yourself, again, placing the emphasis on you versus the outside world, you rebelling against other people, you rebelling against tradition, you rebelling against this, you really set yourself up for failure. And I think that's one of the issues you see now with people in my age group, for sure, where it's like, you know, you end up where all your friends look like you do. And that's tribal and that's that's how things end up that's natural in a lot of ways but when there's this idea that you're actually a bunch of rebels you know you just become a contradiction it's it's like dyeing your hair getting a tattoo doing anything nothing wrong with doing those things i honestly i don't judge anybody for doing that but it just if you're doing it with the illusion that you're fighting something or you're rebelling against something you know and then you end up in a sea of people who are like that what are you doing? You know, what game are you playing? Maybe, and then I think what someone would say is, I just like it. I just like it. Good for you. If you just like doing something, do it. Uh, Just do it. I can't possibly uh, take that away from anybody. I can't make someone not like something just because they like it. But I do question that a lot of the time. I do question people's motivations. Uh, and I, maybe I should do less of that. Maybe I should question people's motivations less. I'm trying. I feel like I do do that less. I feel like I'm questioning people's motivations less, but it's hard not to. It's it's something that's hard not to, and I question my own motivations all the fucking time, so maybe I should... Uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm never going to stop doing that. I've got to question my own motivations at every step of the way. Because uh, otherwise I'd never get running shoes. Otherwise I, I might never do anything, actually. Because for me, like the, the process of questioning yourself, uh, you know, kind of rebelling, because that's rebelling against yourself. When you rebel against yourself, you do find out a lot more about who you truly are. Uh, and I've had to do that. I've had to learn more about who I truly am, and I'm still figuring that out. Uh, but it is interesting to me going back to this idea of, you know, the right way to do things versus, you know, you know, this or that. And the thing about me and injuring my foot running is I probably would have never started running if I went out and bought those running shoes right off the bat. So for me, there's a almost a, a, a necessary risk of injury to even start doing anything at all where... You know, I I had to be out there in the woods already with my vans on my feet to start running. If I had gone to the running shoe store, I'm sure there's probably a place called that, right? There's probably a place called the running shoe store at this point. Companies love to be like cute and simple like that these days. The vitamin shop. Uh, But... uh, the running shoe store. If I'd gone to the running shoe store and like bought the perfect pair of running shoes before I ever set my feet down in running fashion, I probably never would have really gotten into it. I had to figure that out through just running with what I had and injuring myself. And, you know, I don't recommend that. I don't endorse that approach. Once again, it's, it's the example I've used of like trying to clear your own path off to the side you got a machete and you're going through the jungle and you're clearing this path and you're like, oh, I've, I've found the right path for me. And you realize that you've just made this big elaborate semicircle that goes back to the main path 
which you could have just been on from the start if you had gone to the running shoe store and bought running shoes. But instead, you went through the jungle and, like, got bit by a bunch of shit. Literally shit bit you. Um, and, you, you know, you fucked your leg up and you... You've been, your machete's dull and you're just so sick of, you know, cutting away at foliage. And now you're on the path that everybody else was on who went to the running shoe store. Except a lot of those people got so hung up on, you know, the orthodoxy of it, of like having to follow this script, having to follow that process that they never even really got going. I mean, you think about the number of people who, you know, buy a gym membership and then never exercise. You know, and I'm not saying you should go out and buy a bunch of equipment because I don't have a bunch of equipment. I just use dumbbells and some other little things that I have here and there. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend that approach. But if you're just trying to start exercising at all, like not even talking about equipment or weights or anything like that, if you just want to start getting exercise, I recommend doing it with the most limited means available. Walking. Just go for a walk. Maybe try jogging a little bit, and you probably shouldn't wear, you know, low-top shoes. Uh, But just try doing what you can with what you have available, and if you can build up a discipline around that, then when you decide to upgrade, when you decide to start dressing like everybody who does it, all the pros, all those pros who are a month in, all those teenage boys who have been playing guitar for a whole week, practicing for 15 minutes every other day, who are going to tell you what equipment to buy online, uh, as soon, you can become like them You know, next. You can upgrade to that uh, you, once you develop some sort of discipline. But I think too often people decide to start doing something like going to the gym or even just running, and they buy all the fancy stuff, and then they never do it because they haven't developed that discipline. And in buying that stuff... They gave themselves some kind of like dopamine kick. They they started role playing that they were already that person. Uh, they they uh, they faked it until they didn't make it, which does happen. And uh, you know, as much as faking it till you make it works in a lot of cases, as much as you know, role playing or LARPing as something does help you become that. Uh, it doesn't help you learn discipline if it is discipline that you require. And uh, so people will just quit because they got this dopamine kick from buying all the clothes. They they bought they picked out their gym outfits. They went down to the you know the gym store and they bought all their gym outfits. And then they just never went. They went for a week and they were like, "I'm really sore and I'm I'm going to take a few days off." And that few days just grew. Their Netflix queue grew, and they just didn't have the time anymore. You know, when you have that much to watch on Netflix, you just don't have the time. Uh, but it, it's very similar to the when people make announcements. It's all part of the same thing, where someone will make an announcement. I'm going to lose weight this year. They post online, I'm going to lose 10 pounds this month. And all their, you know, adoring friends are like, yeah, you got this. You got this. You go. You go. Oh, you got this. And the person starts thinking that they do have it. They start thinking they do got this already. They start thinking they've already done it. Uh, you know, a study came out a while back that I, I know I've mentioned before, but it was just, it's stating the obvious, as most studies do. 
you know, spend all this money and waste all this time finding out what was obvious to everybody. But it's just one of those things where it came out that, oh, you know, people who make a big announcement about quitting smoking or losing weight or doing something before they actually do it, get a dopamine kick from all the support that they receive and their brain actually thinks they've already done it. And because they think they've already done it, they don't actually do it. You know, whereas, you know, doing it is a much slower process, you know, not the act, you know, the act of actually doing it isn't slow. You start doing it immediately if you want to do it. You start doing it immediately and as often as you possibly can. Uh, but you, the the process of getting something from it is a lot slower. And it feels so much better to have somebody notice that thing that you've been trying to do than it is to announce it or to try to give that image out to the world, to cosplay. It feels a lot better to have somebody actually treat you like the thing you want to be than it does to dress up like that for an anime convention and have someone take a picture of you for that day only. Trust me, I know, because I do it. I get paid to do it. I get paid to cosplay. And I can tell you that it feels a lot better when someone tells you on the street, hey, you look like Cloud Strife, than it does to dress up like Cloud Strife once a year at Comic-Con or whatever the fuck it's called. I don't even know what it's called. Um, But that's just how it works, and it's no different with music or art or anything else where, you know, someone else's observation is much more valuable than you know, this this role-playing that we get sucked into or this adherence to ritual or tradition. But you shouldn't shut that down entirely either. I mean, if you're working on a painting, it's like if you're using shitty paints, you're going to get the quality of shitty paint. But buying expensive, nice artist paints isn't necessarily going to get you the result that a great artist will get out of them either. So it's, again, that battle between not putting too much emphasis on these orthodoxies that have been created, these traditions that have been created, but also not rebelling against the orthodoxy and the tradition just for the sake of rebelling against it. And that's that's a battle you have to deal with, but it's not that hard of a fight. You know, once you realize that that's part of the process, it's not that hard of a fight. And I'm going through it. I, I say this as someone who's going through it constantly, is still going through it in everything I do. And this isn't coming from a place of expertise, as much as it might sound like the kid who got a guitar last week who's now giving you advice on how to play Van Halen songs. Uh, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm not a master, really, of anything. But these are things that I've learned. These are things that I've learned about creativity, fitness, Uh, Everything, really. There is nothing new under the sun, but this much is true for everything under the sun. A lot of things follow the same principles, especially when it comes to wanting to get results. This land is mine God gave this land to me 
This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free